Life Audio. Welcome to the Truth Tribe with Doug Rodheis, where we seek the truth about the things that matter most through reason and evidence. Today I'm going to read a portion from my book, The Soul in Cyberspace, which was published in 1997. It was part of a series of books called Hourglass Books. These were described as Hourglass Books are for all who long for reformation and revival within the evangelical community. As tracks for the times, they raise major issues of the day. Each book is serious in tone and probing in style, but practical rather than academic. We're often a first word than the last, designed not only to be read, but discussed and actually acted on. Hourglass books are for all who seek to restore the gospel, the evangelicals and evangelicals to the gospel. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Books in this series included Dining with the Devil, The Megachurch Movement Flirts with Modernity by Oz Guinness, and also Oz Guinness's book Fit Bodies, Fat Minds, Why Evangelicals Don't Think, and What to Do About It. Those are both excellent resources. I was asked to write a book about the Internet, and I'd like to read some portions of a chapter called Exploring Virtual Community, the book included 10 chapters. One, the postmodern soul in cyberspace. Two, disembodied existence in a digital world. Three, the book, the screen and the soul. Four, hypertext realities and effects. Five, the fate of truth in cyberspace. Six, cybersex, eroticism without bodies. Seven, techno-shamanism, digital deities. Eight, Exploring Virtual Community, 9, Virtual Community, Trust, Deception, and Infection, 10, Online Christianity, question mark. Let me read from Chapter 8. Our culture watchers, social critics, politicians, clergy, theologians, philosophers, and just about everyone else within earshot have at least one thing in common today— They are all lamenting the loss of community and civility in American culture. Community consists of more than just civility, but it must include civility, which philosopher Richard Mao helpfully defines as, quote, public politeness. It means that we display tact, moderation, refinement, and good manners 
towards people who are different from us, unquote. In his magisterial book, The American Hour, Os Guinness eloquently articulates, quote, the crisis of cultural authority that grips, shapes, and drains our culture. An increasingly pluralistic and self-centered America lacks a compelling social vision that would unify its voice, restrain its vices, define and reward its virtues, and direct its energies. As a result, we are engaged not in civil persuasion, but in culture wars on a number of levels. Our national motto, E Pluribus Unum, out of many one, is being called into question by multiculturalism, postmodernism, and the general cynicism of national life. Cocooning against community. The notion of community tends to erode under the conditions of postmodernity. A common social practice called cocooning isolates individuals from others by keeping them safe and snug in front of their home entertainment centers and computer screens when they could be playing with their children, talking to their neighbors over the fence, or attending musical concerts, houses of worship, or block parties. Cocooning results from both the fear of rising violence in public places and the availability of entertainment in the home. Futurist Edward Cornish observes that, quote, the infomedia will tend to desocialize people, making them more prone to antisocial and criminal behavior, unquote. He goes on to say, we may become a non-society, a poorly integrated mass of electronic permits, unable to work well together because we no longer play together. Institutions such as the family, community, church, and nation will face the challenge of seeking support from people whose loyalty is almost entirely to themselves. End of quote. The community we crave. Politics alone cannot enforce community because community is pre-political in its essence. It is more a function of culture than of legislation. As Samuel Johnson said, quote, How small of all that human hearts endure, that part which laws or kings can cause or cure, unquote. The elements of local and national community, while not terribly hard to define, are terribly hard to achieve. Most of us would like to see a general civility where strangers can interact with patience, respect, and kindness, where families remain intact and mutually supportive of other families, where the downcast, whether physically or economically, were cared for largely by charitable organizations and individuals instead of being forgotten or pushed aside, where honesty, integrity, and humility become valued virtues, where ignorance, deceit, lewdness, and rudeness are rebuked and rejected, where shame and guilt police the conscience and provide spurs for moral growth, and where people consent to bear with their deepest differences, whether religious, political, or cultural, within constitutional constraints, and without resorting to either spineless relativism or militant cultural combat. In short, where the golden rule is dusted off and put back on public display. Computers Love and Community when Polish political hero Lech Walesa first ventured out of the Soviet bloc in 1988, he made this statement in Paris, quote, You have riches and freedom here, but I feel no sense of faith or direction. You have so many computers. Why don't you use them in the search for love? Unquote. 
Is this possible or likely? Can computers aid us in the search for the love that binds communities together? Can email, bulletin boards, databases, and all the rest really constitute a virtual community that makes for real community? Community was once reserved for persons closely associated geographically and culturally. Cyberspace cyberspace technologies, however, have pushed the concept of community beyond these physical limits. Architect William Mitchell's insights are illuminating, quote, As more and more business and social interaction shift into cyberspace, we are finding that accessibility depends even less on propinquity and community has come increasingly unglued from geography. Our network connections are becoming as important as our bodily locations, unquote. Network connections may be as important in a cultural sense, but are they as significant, meaningful, and valuable? How readily should we jettison kinship and geography, proximity and contiguity? The living fibers of healthy community are many and complex, and we cannot touch on all of them here. But the notion that community can thrive in cyberspace challenges the very meaning of community and the nature of our society. Paradoxically, although we live in Marshall McLuhan's global village, through the aid of electronic media, our sense of village or community is languishing, if not vanishing. David Wells incisively writes, quote, Our computers are starting to talk to us while our neighbors are becoming more distant and anonymous, unquote. I may connect with terminals around the globe, but know nothing of the pains, joys, and mundanities of the souls next door. As we remove ourselves from those who surround us physically, we attempt to compensate for our loneliness by connecting with those present only digitally. On the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. A now famous cartoon in The New Yorker shows one dog saying to another, On the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. We have touched on the problem of truth in cyberspace, as well as its disembodied character earlier in this book, but the element of the quality of its participants needs to be considered. In his book, The Road Ahead, a best-selling cheer for everything digital, Bill Gates states a commonly heard refrain about the beneficial aspects of cyberspace communication, exulting in the fact that, quote, anyone can send anyone a message on the Internet, Gates comments that correspondents, quote, who might be uncomfortable talking to each other in person have forged bonds across a network, unquote. Gates laments, though, that the much-heralded information highway will, quote, do away with the social, racial, gender, and species blindness that text-only exchanges permit, unquote, because of its incorporation of video. Gates' comment is curious. First, it is not true that anyone can send anyone a message on the Internet. This is true for Gates and his friends, to be sure, but most people are still strangers to cyberspace either because they lack the stamina to master a new and often intimidating technology, or because they simply do not have the financial resources to connect. Now, I was writing this in 1997. It's not really true in 2023 for most people. Today's users of the Internet are overwhelmingly young, white, middle to upper class, and male, although the rate of women involved 
31.5% seems to be increasing fairly rapidly. Connections of various kinds are being made through cyberspace, but as yet the electronic rendezvous do not seem to be crossing gender, class, and racial barriers in any significant way. In fact, many worry that the juggernaut of advancing cyberspace technologies will leave many minorities and disadvantaged people out of the loop. For instance, a 1989 study of the U.S. Census Bureau found that although computer use and ownership was increasing rapidly, only 1.5 million African Americans used computers at home compared to 26.9 million whites. Of course, the computer use and ownership is positively correlated with higher incomes. This may change somewhat, though, if the cost of computers continues to plummet while their capacities increase, and that, in fact, has happened. Even if computers become more affordable for more people, how will poor folks learn to use them, especially if schools in lower-income neighborhoods have less access to computer education? As Clifford Stolas pointed out, the cyberspace community is not as friendly as it often presents itself to be because of the, quote, exclusionary nature of technocratic culture, unquote, is up to the user to figure out what system is best to decipher the new jargon-heavy terminology and to install and maintain the software. The result is that outsiders are often put off by a liturgy of technology, as he puts it. Second, the anonymity of non-video interaction in cyberspace is not what Gates and others claim it to be. There's reason to be skeptical about the idea that the disembodied and largely anonymous character of cyberspace will, quote, teach us to value quickness of mind over beauty, wit over physical power, the content of our characters over the color of our skin, unquote. On the other hand, textual communication can be a leveler. On the screen, what is only as good or bad as his or her words. I can imagine people conversing through email might otherwise avoid each other. If the more impersonal medium enhances the personal dimension instead of eclipsing it, these online relationships could be converted into more full-blooded off-screen encounters. On the other hand, I'm afraid this pleasant scenario requires a basic honesty and integrity that the culture of cyberspace often lacks. Assuming a false identity in order to deceive someone is lying, pure and simple. What kind of civil relationship can be founded on deception? Furthermore, the particularities of race, age, gender, and economic status cannot be forever erased if people are to know each other as embodied beings in the physical world. A racist may converse online with someone of another race, whom he comes to appreciate as being a good writer, well-educated, and friendly. The crunch comes, though, when the racist finds that his email correspondence is typing with differently pigmented hands. If the racial anonymity is never broken, no progress towards racial reconciliation can be forged. If racial realities are revealed and prejudice continues, nothing has been changed. The same problems occur for age, gender, and economic status. What kind of community is being created? when the members are digitally sheared of these characteristics. Clay Shirky wisely observes, quote, An area that bases its idea of tolerance on simply hiding the characteristics the majority are intolerant of 
is at best a digital closet, unquote. Community worthy of its name is largely fashioned out of the recognition of our embodied and sometimes awkward particularities within a context of regarding one another as fellow humans worthy of respect and civility. The Christian deepens this by adding that people are made in the image and likeness of God. They're not only our neighbors, they're objects of divine concern. Writing in 1966, management expert Peter Drucker wisely saw that, quote, throughout the ages, the problem has always been how to get communication out of information. He goes on to say, Now suddenly we are in a situation in which information is largely impersonal and therefore without any communications content. It is pure information. But now we have the problem of establishing the necessary minimum of communications so that we understand each other and can know each other's needs, goals, perceptions, and ways of doing things. Information does not supply this. Only direct contact, whether by voice or by written word, can communicate. Unquote. When Jucker wrote of the direct contact of the written word, he knew nothing of such technologies as email and chat rooms. He was thinking of personal notes, memos, and letters, which are more directly personal and not as subject to identity confusions and deceptions, as is the case in cyberspace. Information exchanged in cyberspace can easily mask or ignore one's needs, goals, perceptions, and ways of doing things. Civil communities, places where a soul may flourish with other souls, ask us to present ourselves as we really are, before others as they really are, that we might learn where we agree, where we disagree, and how to disagree agreeably, and how to persuade each other through compassion and reason. Cyberspace, Sensibilities, and Community Disagreeing agreeably is particularly taxing, in cyberspace. I briefly mentioned the problem of flaming earlier. A flame is an uncivil information bomb launched from one computer toward another. The disembodied context of cyberspace is highly conducive to such textual attacks. As Martin Hash, a developer of animation software, observes, quote, people with an otherwise dull, mundane, unexceptional life could become whoever they want to be, in the anonymity of net culture. It is amazing how the brittle mantle of civility is shattered if even the thinnest veil of anonymity is provided. Unquote. Given the nature of this medium, incivility could become habitual and spill over into the offline world. Again, as Marshall McLuhan said, quote, we become what we behold, unquote. More importantly, the Apostle Paul warned, bad company corrupts good character. Craig Broad and other psychologists have found, in case studies, that those who are compulsively involved with computers, quote, are much more intolerant of behavior that is at all ambiguous, digressive, or tangential, unquote. Of course, such behavior is a large part of being human rather than a computer program. Quote, in their interaction with spouses, family, and acquaintances, they are often terse, preferring simple yes-no, that is binary responses, unquote. Broad notes that these people prefer to transfer information quickly, 
People who talk too slowly or in general terms are avoided or ignored. Unquote. They just cannot process information quickly enough. So much for civil communication. In an insightful New Yorker article called My First Flame, John Seabrook speaks of a computer whiz who had, quote, that intense energy you often see in guys who are really into computers. The speed at which he talks and moves always makes me think of the clatter of fingers over the keyboard, unquote. Of course, Seabrook's friend may have always been frenetic. The computer, however, tends itself to that sensibility. The velocity at which information travels is both a gift and a curse. When my friends in France sent me an emergency prayer request by email, it reached me much faster than it would have by regular mail. This allowed me to pray immediately since time was of the essence. The increased speed of information exchange, however, can induce impatience with anything that happens more slowly. While information may fly across the globe at nearly the speed of light, direct contact with human beings continues to form the deeper civilities required for community. Social critic Jeremy Rifkin points out that, quote, in every culture up to now, the temporal order has been established primarily around face-to-face interaction, with other forms of communication existing as extensions of that interaction, unquote. Now, however, computer technology threatens to set the pace and define the terms of communication by its mechanical structures. Nicholas Negroponte laments that the speed and low cost at which email can be transmitted may mean that, quote, a single carriage return can dispatch 15 or 50,000 unwelcome words into your electronic mailbox. That simple act turns email from a personal and conversational medium into wholesale dumping, unquote. Some of you may not know what a carriage return is, but on the old typewriters, when you reached the end of the line, you had to return it back to the left margin. Information dumping is not the stuff of civil conversation, to be sure. I myself was guilty of Negroponte's complaint when I sent out a file of an article I wrote on technology shortly after I thought I had learned to work such marvels. He emailed back a sentence fragment along the lines of, came out as garbage. As we have seen in this chapter, virtual community may be too virtual to serve as the kind of community we crave. Prejudice and bigotry need stronger antidotes than the anonymity of cyberspace. Communication may actually be diminished in the velocities of digital space. And as we will see in the next chapter, other aspects of community may also have a hard time surviving, let alone thriving in cyberspace. And that's the end of the chapter. I was not reading every sentence from the chapter, but of course many things have changed since I wrote this. Uh, the fact that we have common access to cell phones and can go online from anywhere at any time, the rise of social media, the rise of exchanging images very, very easily, which was not the case when I wrote this book. Nevertheless, I hope that some of these insights will be helpful to you as you try to develop a philosophy of technology and try to figure out how to live wisely in our increasingly digital world. It's been Doug Grotheis. You've been listening to Truth Tribe. If you'd like to know more about me or how I might be able to help you, 
please go to my webpage at douglasgrothuis.com. Truth Tribe is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Jesus wants our fears to launch us toward faith. Then he grins and says, do you trust me? Because together we can do this. With Mornings with Jesus, you can start your day in a positive way. Find hope through inspirational stories and scripture. Go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Mornings with Jesus. You can also download the Abide app for biblical meditations at abide.com.